0: Chapter Seven of The Duck Footed Hound by Jim Jelgard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Miss Cathby. His books strapped together with a discarded bridle rein and dangling over his shoulder, Harky Mundy placed one reluctant foot after the other as he strode down the dirt road. The events that culminated in this dreadful situation, returning to Miss Cathby's school at the crossroads, had for the past three days been building up like a thunderstorm and, on the whole, it would have been easier to halt the storm. Every autumn, just after the harvest, Munn acquired firm ideas concerning the value of higher education for Harky, but never had Munn resorted to such foul tricks or taken such unfair advantage. Coming toward Tumbling Run foam beneath the wooden bridge and hurled itself toward Willowbrook, Harkey halted and rested both elbows on the bridge railing. He looked glumly into the icy water, along which coons of high and low degree prowled every night, and he wished mightily that he were a coon. Though even coons had their troubles, Harkey had never known of a single one that had been forced to hoe corn, milk cows, feed pigs, pitch hay, dig potatoes, or do any of the other unspeakable tasks that were forever falling to the lot of human beings. But even farm chores were not entirely unbearable. In the final agony of desperation, his cause already lost, Harkey had even pointed out to Munn, that the fence needed mending, and hadn't he better cut those posts? Blast it, Mun roared. Stop this minute trying to make a fool of me, Harky. You know as well as I do that the crows ain't going to be out to pasture more'n another three weeks. You need some book lore. Harky rubbed the heel of his right shoe against the shin of his left leg and wished again that he were a coon, even a treed coon. Being hound-cornered was surely preferable to becoming the hapless victim of Miss Ophelia Cathby. Grasping the very end of the bridle rein, Harky whirled the books around his head. But exactly on the point of releasing the strap and revealing the satisfying distance the books would fly, Harky brought them to a stop and slung them back over his shoulder. He sighed, free to walk the two miles to the crossroads with Mun not even in attendance. Harky was anything but free to throw his books away and explore Tumbling Run when he ran away from farm tasks, which he did at every opportunity. The worst he could expect was the flat of Munn's hand. But if he did not show up to school this morning, and for as many mornings hereafter as Munn thought necessary, he would never see his shotgun again. Harky lived again the inhuman scene wherein he had been subjected to torture more intense than any mortal should ever endure. Munn took the shotgun, locked it in his tool case, pocketed the key, and addressed Harky. Thar! Now just peg on to school, and I aim to see Miss Cathby and find out if you did. Hinge on what she tells me. Ya can have the shotgun back. Harkey permitted himself a second, doleful sigh. A man could take a hiding, even if it were laid on with a hickory gad. But a man might better lose life itself rather than the only gun he had or could hope to get, at least in the foreseeable future. Mun was a man of his word. Harkey saw himself in a fiendish trap from which there was no faint hope of escape. He glanced at the sun, and from the length of the shadows it was casting deduced that it still lacked forty-five minutes of nine o'clock, the hour at which Mithcathby called her classes to order. If he struck to the road, forty-five minutes was at least thirty-eight more than he needed to cover the less than a mile remaining between himself and the crossroads, but there were excellent reasons why he could not stick to the road. Ross Danfield, Butt Johnson, Bear Pen Crawford, and Mule Domster all lived upstream from the Mundy Farm. Nellie Garson and Pine Heglin lived down. Harkey had not hesitated to walk openly past Mellie's farm, for though Mellie had been an enthusiastic sire, he had only begat daughters. They were all pretty enough to be snatched up the moment they came of marriable age, and the four oldest were happily married. But girls of all ages were forever gadding and doing silly things that interested girls only, though they probably would think it a modern miracle, Mellie's eight youngest would not consider it necessary to rub salt in Harkey's already raw wounds simply because he was going to school. Pine Heglin had specialized in sons, of which he had seven. The six eldest were carbon copies of their father. It was said along Willow Brook that if one cared to give Pine or any of his six elder sons a good laugh in January, one had only to tell them a good joke the preceding April. The youngest Hegelin, named Loring and called Dib, had been born on Halloween and showed it. Every witch who walked must have touched Dib Hegelin, and, among other questionable gifts, they bestowed a tongue with a hornet's sting. Dib was three months older than Harkey. He did not go to school. He found endless amusement in the fact that Harkey did go. Harkey had no wish to meet Dib. A quarter of a mile, on the upstream side of the Haglund farm, Harkey started into the woods and stopped worrying. Dib was not an unskilled woodsman, but he'd never studied in the stark school from which Harkey had graduated with honors. Anyone able to hide from Munmundy could elude fifty Dib Heglunds. A sour chuckle escaped Harky. Dib, who knew how to add two and two, would know that the Mundy's harvest was now ended. Nobody would have to tell him that this was the logical day for Mun to expose Harky to some more of Miss Caffey's education. No doubt he'd got up a half hour early just so he could wait for Harky and insult him when he appeared. Presently, as it always did, the magic of the forest overwhelmed less desirable influences. Miss Cathby and her school, while not far enough away to let Harky forget he'd better be there on time, needed to be faced for the immediate present. Harky found himself wondering. Duckfoot had grown like a weed in the corn patch, and to the casual observer he was not greatly different from other gangling ham puppies, but a careful scrutiny revealed him as a dog of diverse talents. There was the incident of the root cellar. Because it would not keep long in warm weather, meat was a premium along Willowbrook during the summer months. When somebody butchered, it was both practical and practice to share with his neighbors. Mule Domster butchered a hog, and, to the Mundys he brought a ham and a loin. Mun stored both in the root cellar, that was closed by a latch. The latch was lifted by a string dangling down the door. While Duckfoot, who to all appearances was interested only in scratching a flea beyond his ear, sat sleepily near, Mun removed the ham. Shortly afterward, returning for the loin and finding an empty space where it had been, Munn went roaring to the house for his rifle. Since no farmer of the Creeping Hills would think of robbing his neighbor's root cellar, obviously an unprincipled and hungry stranger had come up Brook. Finding no tracks, Munn further declared that he was a cunning stranger. Harky had a feeling. It was based on the fact that Duckfoot, who normally ate like a horse, except that he did not chew his food nearly as much, was not at all hungry when his meal was put before him. It meant nothing, asserted Munn, for he had flushed an early flight of teal from Willowbrook, and Duckfoot was perturbed by the ducks. Harky watched the root cellar. Evening shadows were merging into black night when Duckfoot padded to the door, reared, pulled the latch string with his teeth, and entered. Since Munn was sure to take a dim view of such going-ons, Harky never betrayed the thief. All he did was break the latch and replace it with an exterior latch that was not string-operated. That happened shortly before Duckfoot disappeared for a whole week. To be expected, said Munn, for wild ducks were passing daily now, and doubtless Duckfoot had gone in search of his father. But Harky had another feeling. He had been with Duckfoot along Willow Brook, or near one of the ponds, when wild ducks flushed. Far from betraying his duck blood, Duckfoot had given them not the slightest attention. Could it be, thought Harky, that a coon, maybe, Old Joe himself, had come raiding. Had Duckfoot trailed him, treed him, and stayed at the tree until he was just too tired and hungry to stay longer? Mun scoffed at such notions. He pointed out that Duckfoot was still a puppy who, as far as anyone knew, had never been on a coon's trail. So what could he know about running coons, especially Old Joe? Harky was indulging in another pipe dream, even to think that a puppy, any puppy, would tree a coon and stay at the tree for a week. Precious Sue herself wouldn't have stayed that long. Harky knew only that Duckfoot was lean as a blackberry cane when he finally came home and that he kept looking off into the forest. If he hadn't treated Coon, he certainly acted as though he had. In sudden panic, Harky realized that he had a scant four minutes left. He began to run, and he burst into Miss Catherine's school just as the last bell was tolling laggards to their desks. The school was a one-room affair flanked by a woodshed half as big as the school proper. Inside were the regulation potbelly stove, six rows of five desks each, a desk for Miss Cathy, and a plain wooden bench upon which the various classes seated themselves when called to recite. Behind Miss Cathy's desk was the blackboard. If it was not the ultimate in educational facilities, it was a vast improvement over the no school at all that had been at the crossroads until three years ago. When Harkey ran in, his fellow pupils were seated. The first grade, consisting of the younger daughters of Mellie Garson and Ross Danfield, and the youngest sons of Butt Johnson and Mule Domster, was the largest. Thereafter, the grades decreased numerically, but with an increasing feminine contingent. Boys old enough to help out at home could hardly be expected to waste time in school. Melinda and Mary Garson were in the fifth grade, Harkey the sixth, and Mildred and Mellie Garson the seventh and eighth. Miss Cathby smiled pleasantly when Harkey came in. "'Good morning, Harold,' she greeted. "'Good morning, ma'am,' Harkey mumbled. "'Is your father's harvest in, Harold?' "'Yes, ma'am.' Harkey, who knew his name was Harold, but wished Miss Cathy didn't know, squirmed and longed to drop through the floor. With the only other male who even approached his age being Mule Domster's ten-year-old son, he was indeed surrounded. Miss Cathby, who knew several things not written in textbooks, understood and let him alone harkey fixed his eyes on the black of a twelve-year-old melinda garson's slender neck he calculated the exact spot where a spitball would have the ultimate effect then decided that it wasn't worth the while to throw one the first grade was called for recitation solacing himself with the thought that munn's enthusiasm for booklore seldom endured more than three weeks harkey escaped in the dream he had his shotgun duckfoot was hot on a coon's trail and presently they heard his tree bark mun and harkey made their way to the tree harkey mun said get your light-beam on that coon harkey made ready to shine the treed coon the words were repeated and he came rudely awake to discover that miss Cathy was speaking harold she said are you dreaming so soon yes ma'am harkey said meekly well come down here the sixth grade is called to recite harkey rose and shuffled unhappily to the recitation bench he slumped down, head bent, shoulders hunched, fists in pockets. Never again, he thought, would he have any part in caging a coon, not even to turn duckfoot. He knew now what cages are like. Have you been keeping up with your studies? Miss Cathby asked. Yes, ma'am, Harkey said. Which books have you been using? queried Miss Cathby. The same ones I used last year, Harkey mumbled. Miss Cathby frowned prettily. Harkey's last year's books were for the fifth grade. Harkey had started in the fourth solely because he'd been too old to begin in the first. Miss Cathby's frown deepened. She knew that, with the best of luck, Harkey would be under her influence for a maximum of four weeks, but Miss Cathby's fragile body harbored a will of granite. If she combined guile with persistence, four weeks were enough to turn this youngster from the heathenish ways of his ancestors and show him at least a glimmer of the one true light. "'Very well,' she said pleasantly. "'We'll review your last year's arithmetic. "'If a farmer harvests thirty tons of hay, "'sells two-thirds, and feeds the remainder, "'how much will he feed?' "'Harky shuffled nervous feet "'and stared past her at the blackboard. "'I never could figure that one, Miss Cathby." "'Miss Cathby said, "'It isn't difficult.' "'Parts ain't,' Harky admitted. "'But parts are. "'He'll sell twenty tons, "'always reckoning he can find someone to buy.' The rest just shrivels me up. Miss Cathy sighed. As soon as she proved to her own satisfaction that these backwoods boys are not morons, they proved her wrong. Anyone able to correctly deduce two thirds of thirty should be able to subtract twenty from thirty. A firm adherent of the idea that sugar entices flies, while vinegar will not, Miss Cathy applied the sugar. Come, Harold, she coaxed, if you have thirty potatoes and give twenty away, "'How many will you have left?' Ten, Harky said promptly. "'But we was talking about tons of hay, not potatoes, "'and that ain't what crosses me up.' "'What is it they don't understand?' "'Miss Cathy pursued. "'What kind of critter is a remainder, "'and how much hay does it eat?' "'The fifth, seventh, and eighth grades, "'all as represented by the sisters' garson, "'filled the room with giggles. "'Miss Cathy rapped for order "'and evolved a cunning plan to win Harky's interest "'and favor by discussing something he did know. Do you have a good coon hound for the coming season, Harold? Miss Cathby composed herself to listen while Harkey launched an enthusiastic and minutely detailed description of the misadventures of Precious Sue and the wiles of Old Joe. He needed eighteen minutes to reach the thrilling climax, the discovery of Duckfoot, and... His paw's a duck, he said seriously. A duck, Miss Cathby gasped. Not just a barnyard duck, and not just a wild duck, Harkey explained patiently. It was some big old duck, maybe older than old Joe himself, that's been settin' back in the woods just hopin' Sue would come along. Miss Catby's eyes glowed with a true crusader's zeal. And all the time Harky had spent in school, and all the time he would spend there, she could not hope to impart more than the rudiments of an education. But here was a heaven-sent opportunity to strike at the very roots of the ignorance and superstition that barred his march toward a more enlightened life miss cathby saw past the boy to the father who would be strike harky's chains and he would voluntarily free his children that's impossible harold she began warming to her subject she sketched the garden of eden traced the history of mankind disposed of witches and witch hunters in a few hundred well-chosen words explained the laws of genetics and finished with conclusive proof that a coonhound cannot mate with a duck harky listened not without interest when it came to telling stories, he conceded, Miss Cathy was even better than Munn, and almost as good as Millie Garson. Nor was she shooting wholly in the dark. Harky himself did not believe that Duckfoot had been sired by a duck, but there was something wanting. For a moment he could not define the lack. Then, happily, he thought of another of Pine Highland's ideas. If apples were stored so they could not rot, Pine decided, there must be fewer bruised apples. Forthwith, he constructed some lattice works of willow wythes arranged them on shelves, and stored his apples on them. But Pine had forgotten that some apples are big and some small. The small ones fell through the lattices, and the big ones became jammed in them. All were bruised and rotted quickly, with the result that Pine had no apples at all. Miss Casby's lecture was like that, Harker decided. She would find an exact niche for Old Joe, Duckfoot, Munn, everything in the world, and she never stopped to think that few things really belonged in exact niches. Her ideas just didn't have room to grow in. Munns did. Can you prove to me, Harold, that there is any such creature as this witch duck? Miss Cathby finished. No, ma'am, said Harkey, and he forbore to mention that neither could she prove there wasn't. By some miracle, the endless day ended. The new books that Miss Cathby gave him strapped in the bridle rein and slung over his shoulder, Harkey walked straight up the road. He had a feeling that he was justified when he saw Dib Heglin waiting. Ya been to see Miss Cathby? Dib squawked in a voice that would have indeed maddened the sheep. Did Miss Cathby give ya a bath?y Harky shifted the bridle rein from his right hand to his left, affecting a gait that was supposedly a caricature of Miss Cathby's feminine walk, and was remarkably similar to the waddle of a fat goose. Dib came toward him. Ya been to see? He began. They were near enough. Harky's right fist flicked out. Yo! Dib shrieked. Harky danced happily on. No day was wholly wasted if it left Dib Hegwin nursing a bloody nose. End of chapter 7